And good evening, everyone, or good morning, or good afternoon, whichever the case may be, on this rotating globe we all call home. Well, actually, all of us, but I think six people, I think there are six people who are not down here on this planet at the moment. They're in the International Space Station. So they're circling as we're circling, and we're all circling. And uh, before we get to the main subject of tonight, which is going to be Robert Kennedy, can you believe it's been 50 years in a couple of days since Robert Kennedy was assassinated? I mean, the the everyone remembers. Everyone remembers where they were when John Kennedy was killed. But I wonder how many people remember where they were when Robert Kennedy was killed because it was like a double shock. It was like, oh, no, not again. And I remember we were we were staying up late to see the returns from California because, of course, California is on the West Coast and three hours from New York. And the primary, you know, returns come in by phone. And back in those days, it was 1968, remember, no computers. So it was all hand done and hand reported and over AT&T long lines and Ma Bell. And um, it was it was shocking, but I don't remember where I was. Like, unlike Kennedy, unlike John Kennedy, the president, I remember vividly exactly down to the wood paneling where I was that afternoon when we learned the news, the awful news. I don't remember where I was except in front of some TV set when uh, when the news came across that Robert Kennedy had been killed. But until we, uh, you know, connect with, with Robert, um, Robert Morningstar, which we will do momentarily, I want to go to first um, Barbara Honiger. We have some new news on the 9-11 front, and I thought that the political news of the day would be uh, important. For those of you who do not remember who Barbara is, how can one forget Barbara Honiger? She was a member of the Reagan administration. She was actually in the White House, and she was a very <clears throat> high-level official, a woman at the time when that was kind of unusual. And since 9-11, she's been leading several teams of investigators looking at all different facets of 9-11. So without further ado, Barbara Honiger, welcome to The Other Side of Midnight. Well, hello again. How are you? <laughs> well, it's been a month of Sundays, as my grandmother would say, and you've been to Europe and back on this 9-11 tour, this speaking tour. So let's begin there. Our, our last show was with this panel of, uh, of, of attorneys in terms of entering into yes. the court in southern the Southern District, this, uh, this new uh, rule, this new procedure, which will perchance result in a new uh, investigation. Then you took off for parts unknown in Europe. What happened and how many people did you have and what kind of reception? Oh, that's great. Thank you for asking, uh, Richard. Um, well, first off, let me just uh, be clear that I am a board member of the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry, which on April 10th of this year, just a little bit ago, filed an historic petition demanding a special criminal grand jury uh, with the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York there in Lower Manhattan, which is the federal juris court jurisdiction for Ground Zero and the World Trade Center, uh, of course, which was attacked on 9-11. And so I uh, went to Europe in mid-May, a little over two weeks ago, with Richard Gage, who is the AIA, uh, an architect who founded Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, which, by the way, just got their 3,000th signature by licensed architects and engineers on their petition calling for a new investigation of the World Trade Center attacks. So that's right in line with our grand jury petition of the Lawyers Committee. So Richard and I uh, just got back from a speaking tour in Amsterdam and Utrecht in the Netherlands, in Brussels, Belgium, and in London, England, and then Richard went on to Zurich, Switzerland. And we had incredible success on this trip. We had standing ovations. We had large audiences. We had receptive audiences. And uh, the entire experience was electric. It really was. It was incredibly uh, successful. And um, we are probably going to be giving the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York another month and a half or so 
Uh, and then if we either get a no back, an official no in some kind of correspondence, or if we hear nothing, we are then going to uh, take him to court, uh, a higher court, and it's called the mandamus action. We will file an action for mandamus, which means do your duty. And the good news is that, believe it or not, there's a federal statute, a federal law, that it's very unusual. But in this case, the U.S. attorney has no discretion whatsoever. He must forward our grand jury petition to a special criminal grand jury. And if there isn't one already convened, he has to convene it. See, that was so, the new news that was really important in your last appearance, because... If this is codified in law, it isn't regulation, it isn't discretionary, if in filing this petition the court has to respond through the Southern District to impanel a, a grand jury or use one they already have, that's only a matter of kind of binary yes or no, right? That's correct. And if we get a no or no answer, we're giving, we're giving the U.S. Attorney approximately three months which will be another month and a half about now and if, if we if, either hear a no or if this is a dumb question tell me but you know european tours are great we have other friends that go on european tours but how does the european audience impact a united states federal investigation of 9-11 how can how can the political pressure of an overseas constituency affect domestic political affairs well, that remains to be seen, but what we did on this tour, and the the theme, by the way, for the tour, I have, I've sent Kinthea the logo for our tour. It's the title of the tour, or the theme of the tour was 9-11 Justice, Every Nation, Every Citizen. So it's not just Europe we're reaching out to, we're reaching out to the whole world. And um, we're asking everyone around the world, and this show, that's why it's so important to be on this show, and thank you so much, uh, reaches many, many countries around the world. Everyone needs to go to the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry website, which is www.lc-4.org. That's lcfor911.org. And there's a big button there. It says, read the petition, go to page 15. That's the evidentiary part. Prior to that is kind of the legalese. But the evidence starts on page 15. And you will see that we have nailed it. There is no question. It is incontrovertible that the official story is a lie. We've actually demonstrated with forensic evidence and eyewitness testimonies what actually happened at World Trade Centers 1, 2, and 7 on 9-11. So you can read the petition for yourself and on that website you can sign the petition and every month or so the lawyers committee on which I'm the board I am on the board we will be forwarding all of the names that we have received signing the petition on the lawyers committee website about once a month to the U.S. attorney for the southern district of New York now it's been what about a month and a half almost two months since you filed the petition uh, it was uh, it was um, April tenth, so May tenth. Yeah, about a month and a half. We'll probably give them about another. I think we said till May, uh, April, May, June, to July tenth. Mm, mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. So continue. Yeah. We'll put so we that. We have a, a way to go. Yeah, continue. We'll put that link up also. Um, let Let me segue here because there's a conference, an important conference coming up, which is domestic. It's in the states, and that of course appeals yes. to a constituency which legally can impact the jurisdiction of the Southern District. So talk about the conference and what you intend to do there and when it is. Thank you for asking. Thank you so much. Um, there is a very historic conference coming up this coming weekend, actually Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It begins Friday evening, uh, East Coast time. And I'll give some details here in a minute about the schedule. It's a live streamed online conference called Deep Truth Visionary Speak Out. Uh, I am uh, speaking in the second panel on Saturday. I am the only speaker on just 9-11, but there, it's a very exciting conference. And to get your tickets for the conference and see the broadcast schedule, and I'm going to go over it a little bit here, um, you go to this website. It's www.deeptruth.info. So that's deeptruth.info, 
And up in the right-hand corner of the homepage, you will see the, uh, the menu, and you can click on uh, tickets, you can click on speaker schedule, you can click on speakers, and you'll get the bios, you can see the panels. And what I'd like to do is just uh, read you um, the titles of the panels and how exciting they are. Mm. So Friday, uh, June 8th, this, this coming Friday, it's called Mockingbird 2.0, Propaganda, Fake News, Fake History, and Outright Censorship, with Mark Crispin Miller, with Ray McGovern, who was a presidential daily briefer to three presidents of the United States, um, Jerry Daugherty on how history gets memory hold, Allison Weir on how pro-Israel thought police are silencing America, um, Susie Dawson on Julian Assange, and then on Saturday, June 9th, there are two panels. And again, the schedule is given at the website, uh, which is deeptruth.info. So on Saturday, June 9th, uh, confronting oligarchy, resisting full-spectrum dominance with Cynthia McKinney, who was the Green Party, a former Green Party candidate for president and a representative from Georgia, from the Atlanta district, uh, a number of times. Um, and Dean Hen Henderson, All Roads Lead to the City of London, and others. Uh, and then on Saturday, uh, this coming Saturday, June 9th, my, my panel is False Flags, Mass PSYOP Events as Pretext for War and Wars and Surveillance State. And my presentation is the first, uh, and it begins at 2.30 p.m. East Coast time. That would be 11.30 a.m. West Coast time. And again, it's online, live streamed. And my talk is 9-11 Gladio Operations Brought Home to the United States. Um, Oli Damagard, who is probably the most uh, popular and well-known and best investigator of false flag attacks worldwide. He's in Spain now. He's a, he was born and raised in Sweden. He's now living in Spain. Oli Damagard, who's a colleague of mine, I was just on a show yesterday on this, finding the clues and connecting the dots on the false flag attacks worldwide. And Dr. Kevin Barrett, who has been on your show, um, here on the other side of midnight on false flags, Zionism, psychopathy, now there's a word for you, <laughs> yeah. and the hijacked provocation. Now, he's an acad academician, so, you know, those are kind of fancy words, but, but he just does a fantastic job. And then uh, Saturday, also from 6 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern, Triple Blockade, the Israeli attack on Gaza, free speech, and democracy. Again, Allison Weir. Um, who has founded a, a website and an organization called If Americans Knew, uh, and a number of speakers on what's really happening in Gaza from the point of view of the Palestinians. And then Sunday, dark technology, geoengineering, and other Faustian bargains, mm. our ionized skies about chemtrails, weather modification, uh, smart meter Trojan horses, and the perils of 5G wireless. And then on Sunday, just two more, um, 2.30 p.m. Eastern, Sunday, June 10th, Understanding Zionism, Deconstructing the Power Paradigm with Gilad Atzman, Truth, Truthfulness, and Palestine. Uh, Philip Giraldi, who is uh, very high up in the CIA and is now a truth teller, public truth teller, how Jewish power sustains the Israel narrative. And, and, and Alan Sabrowski, the impact of Zionist influence in the United States. Alan Sabrowski uh, was, um, I, I believe it was the Army War College. Uh, he was, um, he was a, the, the head of the, uh, the Army War College uh, research department. So it's a really, really, really exciting conference, and we wish everybody would sign up from all across the world because it's online. And I would like to say that the reason we're doing this is because we sent these panels, all of these wonderful panels, truth-telling panels, to the Left Forum, in uh, which is an annual conference uh, progressive of progressives in New York City. And uh, after originally telling us that we were accepted at the last minute, they rejected our panels. A little bit too much truth, I guess. Mm. And so we decided to take to go around the censorship, and that's why we're doing this. So I hope everybody goes to um, to uh, deeptruth.info and get your ticket. Um, you should know, I just want to let everybody know, that there is a donation of at least a dollar 
um, to watch it live. However, if you don't even want to spend a dollar, if you wait 10 days, you will be able to see it for free. All of the, <laughs> all of the panel's videos will be archived, and you can see it for free at no noliesradio.org. That's www.noliesradio.org. And No Lies Radio is doing the live stream. So they are going to make it available free to the public after 10 days. So about June 13th and after. Super. Well, so Kintia has exciting. Kintia's been able to put all the hot links up. So if you go to the other side of midnight.com and click on the Robert Kennedy banner tonight and then scroll down middle of the page, you'll see Barbara Honiger's items. And there's a hot link there. There's the video schedule. If This is physically taking place in New York City, right? Uh, no, we're, we're doing all of it um, remotely. Oh, it's all going to be online. Oh, so wherever you are in the world listening to us right now, yes. you can be physically Absolutely. present in a live stream and you can participate in some interesting cutting-edge papers. I mean, things are coming to a head. I, we don't have time now, Barbara, but are you looking at, at Puerto Rico? Uh, in this particular conference, no, I do want to add that people who, who do do the live stream for at least a dollar donation at the site, uh, deeptruth.info, um, you can get your ticket by clicking in the upper right-hand corner uh, in the menu. Um, if you if you donate at least a dollar, and, and the money goes to pay for the live stream, which costs about $1,000, um, if you do if you do watch it live, um, if you um, go to the bottom of the page, where you buy your ticket, um, you will see that there is a um, uh, an email address where you can send in your questions that will be vetted and uh, will probably be asked during the Q's and A's in each one of the panels. So it really is participatory. Super. Okay, well, um, obviously keep us informed. We will check in next week, this coming weekend when the conference is on and if there's some interesting news by all means don't hesitate to let us know uh, I, ne I never hesitate you know that Richard <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> thank you so much for getting the word out thank you okay good night good night and that is Barbara Honiger, who, as I said, uh, was formerly in the Reagan White House and has been super in terms of this, uh, this uh, you know, keeping us abreast on what's going on with 9-11. And this conference seems to be kind of one-stop shopping where, uh, where she should be able to uh, update a lot of people and all the other speakers. And uh, I was hoping we could actually have some music here, but my player does not seem to want to be working. So what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to segue directly to Robert and give you a thumbnail sketch as to our main conversation of the evening, which is, of course, the Robert Kennedy uh, anniversary. I mean, it's almost a shame to talk about this as an anniversary because it's such a tragic um, uh, situation. Robert Morningstar is a civilian intelligence analyst, investigative journalist, and psychotherapist living in New York City. Robert is a specialist in photo interpretation, geometric analysis, and computer imaging, and is a graduate of the Power Memorial Academy and a New York State Regents Scholar at Fordham University, where he received a degree in psychology. While at Fordham University in 1969, Robert also participated as a research fellow in a very interesting program that the U.S. Navy sponsored to develop artificial intelligence. And you can read his entire bio, which goes on and on and on. He's a licensed private pilot, and he's been looking into UFOs for over 50 years. He has been really doing extraordinary work in the JFK assassination. And he was doing work in the Robert Kennedy murder that I was frankly not aware of in terms of details. So in the few minutes we have to the bottom of the hour, Robert Morningstar, you're on the other side of midnight. Oh, thank you very much, Richard. Uh, I really appreciate you having me on tonight. Before I go on, I'd first like to say hello to Barbara, and I'd like to apologize for the rumble we had during the campaign. And Oh, my uh, God, that's ancient, ancient, ancient I know, history. I know, oh. but I just, I had, it's the first opportunity I have to say it. I wouldn't, I didn't want to apologize that night, but uh, that battle's over. <laughs> and to be honest with you, it's very memorable, and I kind of like being thrown off. <laughs> For, for my, my political stand. So that said, uh, I'm happy to be on the same show with Barbara. 
And I would also like to say before I begin that I was flabbergasted by Keith Morgan's presentation of Sidonia during the um, the seminar that you had in and I haven't had the Oh, the Morgan Curve. Yes. Well, pe- a yes, lot of people are going to hear a lot more about the Morgan Curve. This is one of the right. early, early pieces of real hard quantitative data that right. Sidonia was not, as NASA has been saying, a trick of light and shadow. Keith put the, put, the, put the nail in that vampire, and it's got incredible mathematical you know, relationships, and Keith was one of the first to find a crucial part of those relationships. I had never heard uh, his dissertation on it, and it was so clear and concise, and uh, I was really uh, very impressed. Well, Kinti has been working day and night, literally, literally day and night for a couple of weeks now, three weeks, to get this thing ready for, A, President Trump. And I don't know whether you know that story, that we have a kind of yes, interesting... Yes, I do. I've been, I've been uh, keeping up with all We, of we have a back channel, so as soon as it's ready, we're going to send the briefing document in the form of a of a video because the president likes to watch television well we're going to give him some incredible television and and it, it says at the top of the video that the president who understands what this means and acts upon it through his nasa remember nasa serves at the pleasure of the president is part of the executive branch he can unilaterally demand that uh, brandon stein the new nasa administrator open the files we're giving him backstory so that he will know what files they're going to try to, you know, fake him out with. And, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, the so-called deep state in NASA has been alive and well for decades. And this would be one way to really start turning over some rocks and seeing what is there, pun intended. Um, right. let's, let's move the conversation in the few minutes we have to the bottom of the hour. This is a... This is another tragic anniversary, and I don't want to say the word anniversary because it's not – that is a connotation that's so wrong. But 50 years ago this week, Robert Kennedy yes. on an incredible high where it looked like he was on a glide path to the presidency of the United States and all that that implies. He was cut down in a hotel kitchen by three bullets in a spray of bullets that hit – something like a half a dozen other people and the one culprit that this has been fastened on has been a guy named Sirhan Sirhan well you have new news tonight that oh, maybe there is now evidence that Sirhan either did not do anything or did something that we don't understand in terms of mind control or was part of a larger contingent to take out Robert Kennedy so he could not become president, and that's going to be the subject for the evening. Right. That's the subject, and the subtitle, I would say, is Means, Methods, and Patterns of Political Assassinations, because I'm going to make the case today that the murders of President Kennedy, Dr. Martin Luther King, and Robert Kennedy were all three subcomponents of one huge package of crime, murder, and conspiracy. And um, you will see during this program how geometry and time and motion studies can reveal the real identities of the killers even 50 years after the fact. Mm. Since this is such a diverse and vast conspiracy, and I can now use the term tonight a conspiracy because, for one thing, the new news that we should talk about before the bottom of the hour is that Robert Kennedy Jr., has finally publicly said he wants a new investigation. He's called into question so many areas of the original that he formally has asked for a new investigation, and that's the newspaper tonight because that has not happened up until this week. Yes, indeed. And this is precisely the reason that I am on tonight. It is to support Robert Kennedy Jr.'s call for a new investigation and to share with the public the last acts of Robert F. Kennedy. So for those millennials who were not around when all this went down, unlike those of us that were around, kind of set the scene. We got about five minutes to the bottom of the hour. What happened 50 years ago on on Tuesday uh, that set this whole thing in motion across half a century? Well, the what set in motion Tuesday was actually the late entry of Robert Kennedy into the presidential race of 1968. 
he had been playing his part as a party member and had been reluctant to announce his candidacy. But when Eugene McCarthy challenged Lyndon Johnson and, and so Lyndon Johnson was president, he'd been vice Lyndon president John- under John Kennedy. When That's when right. John Kennedy was killed, uh, Johnson took over as president, and That's then right. he was going to run for his next uh, term. His, his next term, yes. However, he had embroiled this in Vietnam, and the people had turned against the Vietnam War. And Robert Kennedy was reluctant to come out as the leader of the anti-war movement. And so Gene McCarthy, Eugene McCarthy, uh, ran for president in the primary in New Hampshire, and he knocked Lyndon Johnson's socks off. And Johnson saw the writing on the wall. And of course, when he realized that he could not be president for another four years, and that Robert Kennedy was now stalking the presidency as a dark horse at first. He knew that he was in deep trouble. He was back in 1963. In 1963, he had faced uh, federal penitentiary on on corruption and crimes that were to be exposed on November 22nd, 1963. But he successfully managed the assassination of his predecessor, and he fully expected eight more years on top of the year that he got for free for the assassination of President Kennedy. So when he realized that Robert Kennedy was very likely to become the next president of the United States, the cabal that had killed his brother were in deep terror and started scrambling for ways to derail his candidacy. Well, again, for those who are not listening to history, let's kind of limit out here. The the field of candidates for the 68 presidency were Johnson, who was the sitting president. Right. Uh, Richard Nixon was likely, and then later that summer he became the actual candidate for the Republicans. And on the on the Democratic side, Eugene McCarthy was kind of like a wild card, and Hubert Humphrey was also somewhere there in the mix. Right. That's right. So of all those candidates, because he was the brother of a of a martyred president because there was this subliminal thing in the country what really happened to John Kennedy and could his brother find out. It seemed like an overwhelming bet in Las Vegas that if Robert ran, Robert would win. Absolutely. And the night of the California primary, June 5th, two nights 50 years ago from now, Tuesday night, There was an incredible high because Robert Kennedy won the California primary and looked like he had a clean shot, sorry, directly to the presidency in November. And then they took a shortcut through the kitchen and three shots killed him a day later because he took a long time to die. And the whole presidency of 68 was completely derailed, upended. History was changed again and the mystery as to who killed Robert Kennedy and why and how has lingered for half a century. Yes, indeed. I'm going to show tonight that that deviation through the pantry was part of a pattern that it was exact, exactly like the changing of the motorcade route. Uh, I tell you what, we were at the bottom of the hour, so let's hold it there. Very good. My guest this morning is Robert Morningstar. We're talking about Robert F. Kennedy, would-be president of the United States, who a half-century ago could have gotten to the bottom of what happened to his brother and how history was totally derailed. We are going to come back with this full story. This is going to be groundbreaking, newsbreaking. You don't want to go away. You want to call your friends, have them tune in, or become a member of 19.5. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. first hour of the other side of midnight be sure to catch our complete live show every saturday and sunday night at 9 p.m pacific midnight eastern for a full three hours of this kind of exploration 
And be sure to visit the other side of midnight.com as you listen so you can follow our special Radio with Pictures guest page simultaneously. The Kinthea, our hardworking producer, specifically prepares to illustrate the topics discussed each show. Why? Because there is vital additional information on that Radio with Pictures guest page that I assure you will immeasurably enhance your understanding and enjoyment of what our guests are describing. I mean, would you rather listen to a guest talk about NASA images of ancient artifacts on Mars or simultaneously be able to follow the official NASA images showing you as you're listening the ruins? If you'd like to listen at your convenience to all our shows, including our unique Radio with Pictures feature, please visit midnight.com and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. Okay, what do you get with your Club 19.5 membership, besides helping the show literally stay on the air? Well, first of all, you will exclusively, this is not available to the general public, enjoy our enhanced ad-free podcast, courtesy of Chris Bell automatically downloading all the latest The Other Side of Midnight shows directly to your favorite podcast device so you can listen when you want to. Further, as a full Club 19.5 member, you will gain exclusive access to our The Other Side of Midnight 24-7 chat server, what I can't help calling the Open Hailing Frequencies Room, which is available only to members 24-7. Now, during the show, that's where you will find other 19.5 members and sometimes even members of the bridge crew, my guests, and even me uh, when I have time. Regardless, you can always relay live questions to me during the show just by going to the open hailing frequencies room. Of course, when we're not on the air with your 19.5 membership, you can visit our club 19.5 radio archives anytime and download all our shows directly to your computer which will automatically provide you a screen size that allows you to really examine the remarkable images Kinthea posts for each show. Okay, here's where I need to get kind of super serious. Club 19.5 is how our show is currently solely supported. In my hopefully not vain attempt to keep commercials to a minimum, if you're concerned about keeping us on the air, If you want to hear information that has been vetted far more than perhaps any other show, the best way to ensure that is to join Club 19.5 and get your friends and family to join too. And if you don't know already, when I drop by open hailing frequencies, you can even ask me directly what the ultimate meaning is behind 19.5, literally the most exclusive club in the world. Please join me and my interesting guests on this very stream every Saturday and Sunday night at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, and be sure to come back and listen to our live three-hour shows. Thanks for listening, and now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night, the other side of midnight. My guest this morning, Robert Morningstar, and we're going to be tackling over the next, uh, you know, three hours or so, the idea that Robert Kennedy's death, his assassination, companion with his brother's assassination just a few years before, and others were part of a larger plot, a conspiracy, a word that the CIA has so mangled and so distorted and so destroyed that you can't use the word conspiracy in polite conversation now without people kind of smirking or giggling or thinking that you're some kind of uh, out there individual. Well, as I say to people many, many times, if there were not conspiracies, why do we fund an FBI, a CIA, an NSA, a DIA, and all the other alphabet agencies, something like 17 of them, if there are no such things as conspiracies. Robert, take it away. Robert, unmuting helps. Yes. Why do we have a conspiracy in Webster's Dictionary? 
Actually, because the act came before the word for it was coined. Somebody didn't say, hey, I'm going to invent something called a conspiracy. An act, several acts were done, and then it was coined. So anyway, and it seems that the government is always putting somebody up in jail for conspiracy for this and conspiracy for that. So we are rehabilitating the word because they do exist. And this is the prime example of um, conspiracy facts. I would like to say uh, that uh, that night was a really amazing night for me. It went from, from a night of joy and glee and fascination to shock, denial, and later, of course, in following days, somewhat of a depression. But I can remember exactly what I was doing that night, June 5th of 1968. The year before, I had gotten my first dog, and it was a beautiful Siberian husky. And people who don't know them, in New York, it was the most unusual thing to have a blue-eyed dog. Mm. And, then, and then I mated her with another Siberian husky called Yermak. And on that night, she was delivering puppies. And they were coming out. Oh, my. You know, right, uh, you know, on the, uh, on the mark. And she gave birth to six beautiful blue-eyed Siberian husky puppies. And as I was engaged in this, I got the word. It was uh, 3 o'clock in the morning that Robert Kennedy had been shot. And I went to the news and I could not believe it. I went into denial. I, I said to myself, nah, this is this is fake. This is not true. This is probably a publicity Well, it just seemed like horror was repeating in the same family, the oh, same yes. everything. It was just, you know, no, this cannot be. I remember having exactly the same feeling. Yes, just two months prior, uh, Martin Luther King had been slain yep. in Memphis. And here... And I keep I will men mention the three assassinations in in relations to each other and in certain contexts to point out that all of them occurred in what I would call the deep south because L.A. the L.A. police there in those days was deep south mentality. It also involved the collusion of the mockingbird media to cover up the facts because, frankly, the evidence has been there all the time that uh, exonerates now again for those people that don't follow this <clears throat> and that's a lot of people kind yes. of refresh our memories and what you mean by mockingbird media okay the mockingbird media is the name, name that i've given now to fake news to really pin the don pin the tail on the donkey because what we have is what we call fake news today is the result of the cia's takeover of the media including newspapers, magazines, television, and the film industry. From the 1950s through the 1960s, they had a, a plan that was called Operation Mockingbird. And this plan was to infiltrate the media in all its forms with agents of the Central Intelligence Agency, either who were agents acting as reporters or reporters who were on the payroll of the agency, and then eventually infiltrating the editorial boards and eventually the directorates and the now just so people are clear and again we're talking about <clears throat> millennial audiences that haven't you know anything you know three weeks ago is kind of ancient history this this data came out in in congressional hearings it's been documented the cia has admitted it had or has agents in the major news media so we're not talking a quote conspiracy theory we're talking conspiracy facts here. Exactly so. Here's another conspiracy fact. Despite 50 years having passed, the CIA will still not release the entire document uh, file for Operation Mockingbird with the names of all the reporters who were on their payroll. And you can bet that, and I can tell you, that the majority of the reporters who were reporting from Dealey Plaza from Frank McGee of NBC to Stringer Dan Rather, who came out of nowhere into superstardom in the news simply because he just happened to be in Dealey Plaza that day as a Stringer for CBS News and was able to um, he was able to be the uh, negotiator as well for CBS and dealings with Zapruder and the purchase of the Zapruder film by Time Life Incorporated who is a big player 
in this scenario in the cover-ups of all three assassinations, and in particular to focus tonight with regard to the uh, occulting, the mass. Okay, well, since this is such a vast conspiracy, and I use that term with a capital C, let's try to focus. Let's try to focus. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy gave this incredible surprisingly upbeat speech at the podium in this Los Angeles hotel after the primary results were in and he had won. And then you say that the plan had not included him going out through the kitchen, that that was the change that basically got him killed. How did that come about? Well, there were two things. Robert Kennedy actually wanted to go out and mingle with the crowd and shake hands. In the ballroom. In the ballroom. But somehow through the the insistence of Frank L. Mankiewicz, a a Hmm. Hollywood uh, producer. Let me me stop you there. Because in those days, it was all private security. The Secret Service were not part of a candidate's contingent of security. This was pre-Secret Service coverage. All candidates now get automatic Secret Service coverage when as soon as they declare. Um, mm-hmm. But Kennedy was on his own with his own private security force, the LAPD, and he was at the mercy of whoever was directing those activities. Right. So they insisted on leaving instead of going out into the hall and mingling with the crowd, insisted on going out through a rear exit that was on the side of the stage. That exit led into a long hallway that led to another formal exit from the hotel. But there was a left-hand turn into the pantry, the so-called kitchen. And this left turn was directed by an FBI agent who was there. My friend Roy Schaefer and I did two hours on the on uh, Revolution Radio today on the subject. And Roy reminded me that it was an FBI agent who insisted on them making the turn into the pantry and led uh, Robert Kennedy uh, in into the uh, kill zone in, into the into the ambush. Do we know who that yes. agent was? Um, I don't have the name. Roy uh, would probably have it, but the fact is that in in Dealey Plaza, the route was changed through the coordination of the Secret Service, the Dallas Police Department. Now you're talking about John the, Kennedy's murder. Now John Kennedy's FBI had they not made a right turn and then a left turn on Elm Street, they would never have passed through the area of the Grassy Knoll and the Texas School Book Depository, where, which facilitated that assassination. Likewise, if... Uh, Let me stop you there. Kennedy yes, knew there was something rotten in Denmark about his brother's assassination. Why would he be open to sudden changes of plans at the last minute if he was kind of sensitive to the idea that somebody might be out to get him too? I don't think that the plan was given to him. I think that he was uh, playing freely with the event and expected to be there longer and do activities that he, he himself had in his own mind. And I don't think that they came up to him and said to him, after you make the speech, we're going to go down and we're going to leave right away. Most people say that he was uh, fully expecting to stay longer, to go out and to mingle with the crowd. So that last-minute change, uh, I believe, was part of the setup. It was all part of getting the victim into the kill zone. You have to isolate the victim. You have to bring him into proximity where the assassin or assassins lay. And you have to have a ploy to uh, misdirect him to the kill zone. So they lead him out of the ballroom through a back door behind the stage. He goes down a hallway... And an FBI Somewhat, agent yes. basically says, make a sharp he's left. Leading he's leading them. The FBI is leading them out. And as this is happening, the ACE security guards, Graves on the left, and uh, Thane, Eugene Caesar on the right. This is the private security that we're supposed yeah, to be Yeah, this is the, uh, what I call the Renicops uh, from a, the Ambassador name, Hotel. Okay. They came up. And in the pantry, they ushered everyone out of the way. The maitre d' was in the lead. And they took Robert Kennedy by the arms, one on each side, leading him down. Now, how do we know? How how do we know this? Because uh, witnesses, uh, specifically, 
the te eyewitness testimony of um, Sean uh, Einhardt. He was a photographer that was there, and he was coming up behind him. He was shooting photos of, of uh, uh, Senator Kennedy all night, and he followed them down into the pantry. At that point, he jumped up on a table, and he turned around. And I just heard this testimony yesterday watching the uh, the uh, videotape on YouTube. And he said that he turned around and he saw he could see Senator Kennedy's back, no one behind them, because the two security guards who were on either side of him, leading him down, had cleared the, the space before them. And there was space between him and uh, Kennedy. And at that point, the shooting began. And the... This is in the pantry. This is in the pantry, and this is when the senator was uh, mortally wounded. Most witnesses and an audio tape that emerged prove that there were 13 or 14 shots. Wow. And didn't, didn't the police afterwards take out panels of the ceiling and the walls? Yes, and, yes, walls. The walls had bullets in them. Interestingly, the walls had bullets in them in, in the wood. And these bullets were gouged out of the wall and disappeared. But later on, they found some bullets in Sirhan's car, which, upon closer inspections, had some wood shavings on them. So the ceiling panels were removed. So wait, 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 wait. Hang on there, because there's no way Sirhan, because he was arrested right away, right. he could have dug out the bullets and put them in his car that had to be a plant. That's right. It's all it's all a plan. Now here here's the key. They have it was impossible. It was impossible to connect the fatal bullet uh, that killed uh, Robert Kennedy with the gun that was used by Sirhan Sirhan. No wait. Say that again carefully. B b police you did, or the FBI did ballistics. I don't know which agency. The LAPD okay. and the FBI did ballistic studies of, of the bullets, and there was no way to correlate uh, or identify the bullet in Robert Kennedy's head as having con come from Sirhan's gun. So how, how come Sirhan Sirhan, who was the designated you know victim here, uh, the accuser, uh, accused, how was he convicted if there was no physical evidence if the bullets were obviously from some other gun well if you study the trial of uh, Sirhan Sirhan and the trials of James O. Ray and the trials of Jack Ruby you will find that there is a lot of suppression of evidence for example in the Robert Kennedy assassination uh, much of the forensic evidence and uh, the autopsy trajectories were suppressed and have not were not released for years uh, under freedom of information. We have great sound effects in the background there in New York City. Yes, you have indeed, a window I, open. No, that's your New York City, the sounds of New York City news. And they're quite apropos, folks. What you're hearing now is exactly what was happening outside the Ambassador Hotel on June 5th of uh, 1968. So take it as a gift. Mm -hmm. You are there. You are there. Now, I would like to backtrack a little bit. As you see on the, on the webpage, I gave three, three sections to the life of Robert Kennedy. Robert Kennedy's life in the 1950s before JFK was president. Okay, so everybody can follow. You go to theothersideofmidnight.com, click on the, the Life magazine cover story on Robert Kennedy when he was going to run and all the questions about him running and all that. You, mm -hmm. That will take you to the guest page. Scroll down to Robert item Morningstar's items and item number three we want to look at. Part one, right. RFK, crime-fighting lawyer before JFK presidency. Part right. two, RFK as AG during JFK presidency through November 22nd, 63. And part three is after the killing of JFK from AG to senator to presidential run through assassination night, June 5th, 6, 1968. Okay, so let me start with part one, the 50s and 60s, how Robert F. Kennedy exposed the invisible government. Robert F. Kennedy was a criminal lawyer and a congressional investigator for the Kefauver Anti-Crime Commission. 
which is the mid-50s, 1957 specifically. And it was there as an investigator that he fleshed out the entire or, uh, organized crime syndicate in the United States and began to warn the people about the existence of this other government. It came to be called the invisible government. Now, we've heard that phrase since the 70s, the invisible government, which has come to become known as the deep state. But it was a very uh, mysterious term for me, and I began investigation in the 1990s as to where this term came up. And lo and behold, by going through old New York Times editorials, I found an editorial in 1958 exposing the existence of what the New York Times called the invisible government. And they warned that organized crime was operating as a second government within the borders of the United States. It had its own president. It had its own Congress. It had its own executive arm. Their assassins, their killers, their enforcers. It extorted, it extorted taxes from businesses, loan sharking, prostitution, drugs, everything under the sun. However, it was being run like a corporation and a government corporation demanding taxes from everyone who operated in its territories. And that was a big eye-opener. And it was in around November 1958 that this editorial came out in the New York Times. And I was uh, privileged to find it and to remember it. So the Key Fauver Anti-Crime Commission was a very big deal. And uh, it put the, the country on notice that organized crime was not only rooted, it was spreading throughout the United States. If you want to see what America thought of organized crime and how it was educated, all you have to do is look at a few episodes with Robert Stack as Elliot Ness on The Untouchables. The Untouchables. The Untouchables, yes, indeed. The story of Al Capone and the uh, prosecution of Al Capone. Now, when I say Al Capone, that sounds very, very, very far away to all of us. But it comes home very near to all of us when I tell you that Jack Ruby got his start working as an enforcer for Al Capone, specifically enforcing union cooperation with Al Capone's dictates. So there we have one of the big players in uh, one component of the um, of this set of assassinations, the KKK killings. And, and the KKK killings reflect another party that was involved in all three of them because it was members of the KKK and the Minutemen that were members of the Dallas Police Department, the Memphis Police Department, and the Los Angeles Police Department who all cooperated to see that these three men never saw sun, sunshine again. Hmm. Here's an interesting fact. Two reporters entered Jack Ruby's apartment with the police on the night of November 24th. So now we're flipping back to John Kennedy's yes, assassination. Yes, you have to see this as one thing, a matrix in time. Two reporters who entered Jack Ruby's apartment of November 24th, the night uh, after he killed Oswald, died very strange deaths within two years. One of them was killed with a karate chop to the throat as he was taking a shower. Someone snuck into his apartment and killed him with a karate chop to the throat. The second one, Bill Klotz, died in the locker room of the Los Angeles Police Department when a... Los Angeles Police Department officer dropped his gun in the locker room, hit the floor, fired a fatal shot through the chest of Bill Klotz, the only one of only two men, uh, reporters, who saw the inside of Jack Ruby's apartment. Hmm. The 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 um, 
The chief of police, of course, is the notorious Daryl Gates, uh, who is well known to have been a very racist and bigoted individual. And he was uh, the man in charge of the operation, uh, overseeing the investigation and all of the evidence. Uh, this fellow, Einhardt, whom I mentioned, the photographer, I said Sean, but it's his name. Scott this Einhardt. is now back to the Robert Kennedy. This is now back to, to Kennedy, Robert Kennedy's. He shot three rolls of Tri-X film at 400 ASA. Let, is, hang on, let me stop you there. Did they have yes. any film crews? Because, of course, this is decades before video, before, you know, miniature electronic uh, cameras. Right. So you both basically right. had either 16 millimeter uh, news footage or you right. had still large format still cameras. Right. Well, the place was full of them. But remember, remember what they did in the JFK assassination. They isolated the pre press corps 10 cars back in a bus from the site. Yeah, but weren't they all in that narrow corridor turning into the pantry on the night of Robert yeah, but, Kennedy's? But all, but, but all of the press, the, most of the press was excluded. The camera-bearing press was excluded. And Scott Einhardt and a few others, you know, kind of rushed in there and, and got positions behind them as close as they could because they were being, trying to keep them out. It was after the shooting that uh, the, the huge masses of people... Uh, poured in in the aftermath, but according to to Einhardt, uh, when he looked, it was just Kennedy and the guards behind him on his sides, uh, not behind him, uh, each on his sides, holding his arms, and then the Major D in front, and then the commotion started when the distractor, Sirhan Sirhan, fired the first shot that allowed the real assassins to uh, make their move. It was then that um, the mad rush and the chaos, everything, who, everyone who had been kept outside the uh, pantry when they made that turn, rushed in afterwards. So that is how that happened. Let's go on with J. Edgar Hoover and his role in uh, item five. I say RFK versus J. Edgar Jamba the Hutt Hoover. Hmm. I'm sorry, friends. That uh, that name just rolls off my tongue like poetry. J. Edgar Jabba the Hutt Hoover on organized crime. Yeah, that's item Hoover? number six, actually, on the list. Yes, excuse me, item number six. Um, Hoover had denied for 40 years that organized crime existed, that there was no mafia in the United States. And the Kennedys went out gangbusters and proved him wrong. Because in September of 1963 I can remember coming home from Power Memorial and turning on the television and every channel was filled with the Valachi hearings Joe Valachi was an informant of the Genovese mob he found out that Genovese had put a contract out on his life and so he turned state's evidence and he revealed to the world, to the public and to J. Edgar Hoover that there was a mafia but J. Edgar Hoover was telling the truth when he said there was no mafia because, in fact, he was telling a unique type of official truth called FBI, FIB truth, which is told with your fingers crossed behind your back. And that is because he knew that it wasn't called the mafia. It was called La Cosa Nostra. Hmm. So I'll tell you what. Hold it there. <clears throat> We're at the top of the hour. My guest this morning, <clears throat> Robert Morningstar. And we're talking about the Kennedy assassination 50 years ago Tuesday, which, like John Kennedy's years before, radically changed history. We shall return. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show 
and all previous 350 plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll have access to a private chat server that member used to chat about the show during the show, and you will have a direct channel to post a question that'll be read on the air to the guest. And you'll have a place to post questions during our open hailing frequencies. We realize that not everyone wants to call in live, and this gives you an easy way to participate in a live show without having to participate. Club 19.5 members can use this private chat to talk about the shows, ask questions, suggest new guests, and I may even pop on from time to time to answer specific questions. Also, the entire bridge crew is in these participating chat channels, so you can interact with them as well. You'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward, and boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out.